0: morning, Journey. How are you doing today? Thank you for being here. It is good to see you. I think it only rains on Sundays these days, right? That's all right. We can have fun in here and celebrate together. But we're glad that you are with us this morning. I think we can probably change the motto of our church to uh, the church that has big announcements every week. All right. So uh, last week, as Vanessa just said, we're moving to three services here in a few weeks. And excited about that. We got Easter coming, some fun stuff there. But we also have our accessible playground that is happening here this spring. And uh, if you're brand new to the journey, we, we talked about this in the fall. So I just want to take a moment and kind of tell us where we are with this. But, but if you're brand new, you're like, why are we doing an accessible playground? Let me read this statistic to you. 46.6% of parents with kids with disabilities do not participate in religious activities because their child was not included or welcomed in a religious service. That says a lot about the church right there, doesn't it? And um, let me say Journey Kids does an incredible, amazing job making sure that every kid feels welcomed and involved in what's happening there. And in fact, they're they're working on a few other things that uh, they'll be sharing with you over the the next few months as we head into this year that I'm excited about, but we just want to make sure that this place is a safe place for any kid to come and, uh, and to meet Jesus is what it's really about, to meet Jesus and know Jesus. But as we look at that statistic, what we also find is not only do we have kids that are not able to meet and know Jesus, but we have parents and and family friends that aren't able to do that, too. And uh, so this is one of the big reasons that uh, we are deciding or have decided to put in this particular playground. We want this to be a place that all kids can come and enjoy some playtime. But we also believe this is a, a part of the church where we know that people will come and, and meet and know Jesus from their time at the playground. Because of, of this church and the people that are here, God's going to use us in incredible ways. And so what I want to do right now is I'm just going to share a couple things with you. The, the first thing is our, our, our spring, late spring timeline to install. The playground is still on track. So far, we're good. I'm not going to give you any dates because we want to make sure we're right with that. So um, So just be prepared. We're going to ask you to jump in and help in some different ways as we get closer to that. But that's going to be in late spring. But the other thing is, when you walked in this morning, you had this card there on your seat. Why don't you grab that just for a moment? Uh, And then let me share a couple things with you. This playground costs $225,000 to install, right? Playgrounds are really expensive. Uh, We asked you back at Christmas time to give to our our Christmas fund, and then over the past few weeks, you've been given to that. So, so far, we've brought in $55,000 towards the playground, which is incredible. Uh, the church itself is throwing in $50,000 out of our capital funds to add to this. So if my math is right, that's like $105,000 right Right now that uh, we have towards the playground. So we're looking to fund another $120,000. And so this is where you come in on this postcard. There's one action step for you right now, okay? Take it home and pray over this. And here's what we're asking you to do. The first thing says, I'll be praying God uses this playground to help more people meet and know Jesus. And maybe that's where you are. You're like, man, I'm going to be praying that this is what is going to happen through this. And so we want you to say, yep, that's me, and I'm going to fill that out. But you can also say, I'm committing to a financial gift for this playground. And so on here, this is over a two-year period is what we're asking for. Uh, Maybe you throw in a weekly amount, a monthly amount, a quarterly, or excuse me, an annually amount, or a one-time amount. Put your name and email on this. But this week, just pray about this. Take this home. Next week, we'll have more of these if you forget it. Uh, But we're going to invite you to put in our offering boxes. There's one in the back here. There's one out in the lobby, and just say, hey, man, we, we're in. We, we know God's going to do some incredible things here, and, and we want to be a part of that, okay? We'll get more information to you and some emails, but if you got questions, you can come find me or Robin, who's our executive director here at The Journey. You can talk to her and, and get that information, too. But, um, but this is a, a really cool thing that we're doing, and we're looking forward to seeing what God does through that, all right? All right, let's change gears a little bit. It's Super Bowl Sunday. It's prediction time, okay? And uh, let's just be honest. We got Kansas City and San Francisco, the game nobody wanted in this entire world. <laughs> we got it again. It happened four years ago. I looked at my predictions from four years ago. I had the Niners 33, Chiefs 30, and Chiefs won. I was off that year. 31-20 was the, the, the score in that game. Now, if you're brand new here, let me just tell you, every year, Super Bowl Sunday, I do a, I do a prediction, Okay. And the reason is you can find the answer to who's going to win the game in Scripture. Now, you really can't, and this is just something fun that we do together. So if you're like, wow, this church is weird, sometimes we like to enjoy ourselves. But here's what I realized. I made that prediction back in 2020, and I used Scripture, and it didn't come true. So I thought, you know what, I need, to, I need to kind of spread my wings a little bit. And so this year for the prediction, I'm going to actually use a person from each one of these teams and, uh, and, and make my prediction from that. Okay, you ready for this? All right, here's, here's my first one. We're going to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs, and it's not the person you think. It's this guy, okay? I know you're like, Tay-Tay, I'm not going to mess with Tay-Tay. <laughs> Tay-Tay arrived. She, she, her plane landed yesterday. I saw the plane landing, okay? She's going to be good. Some people don't know. Somebody said they don't, people don't know time zones, which is terrible. But uh, this is Patrick Mahomes. Let me give you a little bit about Patrick Mahomes here, okay? Uh, he Since he's been drafted, Kansas City's been to playoffs every single year. That must be great. Um, <laughs> Their record is 14 and 3 since he's been there. Again, wonderful. They've been to the conference championship game six straight years. Let's just be honest: AFC is a whole lot easier to win than NFC is. (laughs) And this is the fourth time in five years that he's led his team to the Super Bowl. I mean, okay, he's all right. He's a decent football player, but he's not only good at football, but he's also in every commercial you see, right? Subway. Head and shoulders, T-Mobile, State Farm. I could probably go on and on. His face is everywhere. He's on f- football commercials. I mean, he's, he's in the playoffs. He's on TV all the time. I'm sick of the dude, right? That's, can we just move on? Can we, can we go somewhere else? And so that's kind of the, the vision there I, I have for, for the Kansas City Chiefs. On the other side, I got this guy right here. And none of you know who he is, except for one person, I think, in here. That's because that is our brother-in-law. Uh, That's Brian Smith. He is a huge 49ers fan. Now he grew up and was born in Leesburg, which makes absolutely no sense, does it? But he ended up being a huge 49ers fan. I've known Brian for 15 years and I know him because he started dating Kara's sister, Brittany, and when we used to live out in Haymarket, um, as they were dating, he would come to our house quite a bit. In fact, he he actually got to the point of where he'd babysit our kids for us so Kara and I could go out on, on dates and and that relationship that he and Brittany had, it grew, and, and I ended up officiating their, their wedding. And over these last few years, I mean, we vacation together. We hang out with each other all the time. We text each other about every single day, just checking in and seeing how things are going. I mean, we, we have a really close relationship. And in fact, I told you this last summer, back in July, I had the incredible opportunity of baptizing him into Christ. And so this is my brother-in-law right here, right? A brother in Christ, a brother-in-law, uh, probably one of my best friends in, in the world. And so this is, this is an easy prediction for me today to make, okay? Uh, here's my score for the game, 36-31, and I am going with Patrick Mahomes to win this game. <laughs> I will do anything to not have Brian's team win, win the Super Bowl tonight, so... Yes, I got his permission to do all this, just in case you're asking. All right, let's get to some serious stuff. You ever been to Chuck E. Cheese before? Some of you are like, this keeps going downhill. I'm just setting you up for the, the kicker here in a little bit. But uh, if you've been to Chuck E. Cheese, it's like Lord of the Flies, right? I mean, that is like the most chaotic place I think I've ever been in my entire life. Kids are running around, chasing each other, pushing each other. They're leaving bodily fluids on everything that's there. They're jumping off of tables. Um, they're screaming and yelling. One year we were there with our kids, and we only went like three or four times because I couldn't handle it. Nobody really could. And I watched this kid like getting all the tickets or coming out of the game. This other kid, like the flash, runs through, grabs all the tickets, and takes off with them. Now, thankfully, a parent, like, hey, you can't do that. But, um, but it is like Lord of the Flies. And here's the other weird part. Have you ever watched parents in Chuck E. Cheese? They're just like sitting like zombies at the tables. And I don't know if it's something in the pizza, but they're just like, we're not paying attention. We don't care. This is Lord of the Flies. We're going to leave here in a little bit. It's kind of the mentality it seems like. But that place is chaos, pure chaos. But it's not just Chuck E. Cheese that's chaos. Our lives are chaos too, right? Our home lives, our relationships, our jobs. Like if you were looking at your calendar right now, you probably have very little space to, take a break, and to rest. And then we look at our communities, and they're full of chaos. We look at our world, it's, it's full of chaos. Chaos is all around us. And today, we're going to talk about where that chaos comes from. If you were here last week, we started a brand new series called Beginnings, and in it we said, hey, when you look at the Bible, and there's more than this, I'm sure, but as we look at it, there's like these six, six beginnings that we, we find. And as we look at these six beginnings, they, they really build on each other. And not only do they build on each other, but they tell us the story of the Bible. They tell us the story of God. They tell us the story of Jesus. And they also tell us our story, too. So in this series, we're looking at those six beginnings. And last week, we started with creation, right? We talked about creation. We're like, God created everything. And the ultimate creation was you and me. It was humanity. And we were created to be in this relationship with God. But even in this relationship, chaos shows up. And we read about it in Genesis chapter 3. Here's what it says. Verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Let's be honest. This is one of the strangest stories in the Bible, right? Now, I'm just going to tell you, we've got creation, everything seems to be good, and God created all this stuff, God creates humanity, there's a relationship. Next thing you know, there's talking serpents that that are in this story. Now, I just want to take the talking serpent part and just kind of Put that off to the side. That's, that's for another message some other time. I, I want to I focus on what this talking serpent is, is doing and saying. Because what we find here is that it's questioning God. Look at verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. A little bit of an issue here because what Eve says isn't entirely true. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warns him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. God never says you can't touch the tree God says you can't eat the fruit from that tree. It's like Adam and Eve have added their own rules here, right? God said, here's the deal. And they've said, hey, we want to protect ourselves. We want to make sure that we're not sinning and we're we're not going against what God's will is for us. And so they add another rule, just, I think, again, to protect themselves and not to eat from that tree. Well, what happens back to chapter 3, verse 4? You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In these five verses here, we have four things we see that are happening. First thing is, the serpent doesn't actually lie. Uh, The serpent tells a partial truth serpent's right, I mean, they don't die, right? If you know the, the next part of the story, they eat from the fruit, they don't die right then and there. They actually get to live. So the serpent's actually not fully telling a, a lie here. But that leads to the second piece here that God's spoken about in the third person. Again, in Genesis 1, uh, there's creation. Humanity is created in his image. There's this relationship that is built with, with God and, and humans. And, and we even see humanity interacting with God in Genesis 1 and 2. But now, now it's like God doesn't even exist. Like God's not present right there in that moment. They talk about God like God isn't even there. Which then leads to the third thing is that there's questioning of the boundaries of life. But what's the serpent say? The serpent says you will not die and you're actually going to be as smart as God. Like your prom- the promise here is you're going to be more than human. You're going to be. More like God, and what's happening is God is really holding something back from you. Which leads to the last one that means that God's the barrier. Servant's so saying, Hey, you can be like God, you can have this knowledge like God has, but you can't really live your life because God has control over you. God is keeping you from fully experiencing this life. So, so forget God. Let God not be that barrier for you anymore and move on and be more like God. And all you've got to do is eat this fruit. I mean, needless to say, this is a pretty interesting conversation that is happening right here between Eve and this serpent. Look at verse six. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. So The plan worked, Right. Serpent's words changed Eve's mind, and she eats of this fruit. And so the great part is now we can blame women and we can blame Eve for all the chaos that we face in this world, right? Hold up a second. Let's look at the rest of verse 6. She also gave some to her husband. This is Adam. Who was where? With her, and he ate it. Wait a second. Adam was there. The whole time. Like we have this image in our mind that Adam's playing golf at Eden National Golf Course, right? Or he's playing fetch with one of his lion buddies. I mean, he's doing something totally different. He's not there. And Eve does this on her own. But no, we find out that Adam has been with her the whole time, which begs the question, then why does he allow Eve to eat that fruit? Well, I think there's a, a couple things here. First, maybe it's just because he's a dude. And guys, you know, sometimes women make us do crazy stuff. And so I think maybe that's part of it. I think it's a lot deeper than that, but that could be a a part of the deal here. Here, Here's the other two things I think that we see with Adam potentially. First one is maybe Adam was a coward. Like this whole time, he's wanted to take a bite of that fruit. He's wanted to eat it, but he knows if you eat it, you're going to die. So what is he doing? He's actually sacrificing Eve for his own good. He's there saying, hey, I'm going to wait and see what happens to her. If she eats the fruit and she dies, then I'm not going to eat the fruit. But if she doesn't die, then eh, maybe I'll taste it for myself. And so there's, I think, this cowardice part of, of Adam. But probably more than that, the temptation was too tempting. Like he hears the serpent like Eve does, and he says, you know what? The, the serpent's, serpent's right. God, God's in my way. I want to experience life. I want to experience everything life has to give. And and I want to be as smart as God. I want to be like God. And so so God is this barrier in my life. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give in too. And that's what Adam does. He gives in. He eats the fruit just like Eve. And we have chaos in this world today because of both Adam and Eve. Now, when we think about that word chaos, I mean, there's all kinds of different images that probably come to mind, but I'm going to call it what it really is in Scripture and in our lives, it's, it's sin. But, but what is sin? Okay, so if I would have a whiteboard up here, and I were like, hey, let's, let's list out all, all the sins, and you guys would start throwing stuff up, and we get stuff like lying, and cheating, and gossip, and addictions we battle, and anger, and, and adultery, and stealing, and murder, and hate, and being a Commander's fan, and all those sort of things we <laughs> We throw up there on this board, right? And we could probably do like 20 different boards with all these different sins on it. And all of us be like, yep, those are all bad things. That would be kind of easy to choose. But I want you to ask yourself a question. What are you passionate about? What do you love? What, what motivates you in your life? Sometimes the things that we think are bad are easy to choose and say those are bad things, those are sins, but sometimes it's the good things in our life that actually rule us and take over. Maybe it's your job and education and success. It's the possessions you own. It's the relationships that you're looking for in your, your life. It's involvement in your community. It's helping other people. We can look at the whiteboard and it's like, yep, those are bad, but there's these good things in our life that have become our, our focus. I, I I love how Tim Keller, a pastor and author, put it. He said, sin is not simply doing bad things. It is putting good things in the place of God. Sin is the disruption of our relationship between us and God. Sin is when we miss the mark of what God desires for us. Sin is where I put my desires in my life, but of the desires that I have for for God. Sin is when we put bad things ahead of God, but it's also when we put good things ahead of that relationship with God. And whether it's bad or good, when it gets in the middle of that relationship with God, it can be sin in our life. But As you think about that idea of sin, I want to kind of take this a step further because I think there's a, there's a deeper culprit here that causes us to sin in our life. If you're reading the Core 52 um, reading material w- with us this year. Some of you are, and I love it because, you know, you're like, hey, I'm reading it, it's great. And uh, if you're on our, our group chat, people are just throwing stuff in all the time, and it's really interesting to, to see what everybody's putting and where people are as they're reading through it. So it's great. There's still a few more copies out there if you want to jump in. But, um, but if you've been reading this, in Chapter 3, the author, Mark Moore, he's talking about this story, and he says that sin that we struggle with all comes from pride. Here's, here's what he says. He says, pride isn't merely a sin. It's the sin. We read through Scripture, and we look at the, the events and people's lives, and what do we see over and over again? You know, if you really look deep, you find pride is the problem, right? Pride is the thing that causes destruction. It's the thing that brings about it's a thing that brings about tension, and it's not just for individuals. That's part of what pride does. It brings about destruction in their own lives, but if you look at it, it actually brings destruction to, to groups of people. Israel so often faces the pains in their relationship with God and, and who, who God had created them to be because pride had taken over. Like Pride is something that I believe we all struggle with, and, and we can look in Scripture and we can see that this isn't something new. This has been around for Thousands and thousands of years. In fact, we can, we can take it back to Adam and Eve. That pride leads us to see God as the barrier to the things we desire. And you know what we do every single time that pride takes over? We're just taking another bite of that fruit. I love the way John puts it in his letter in 1 John 2. I'm going to read this, and this is a, a, the message paraphrase. It's not a translation of Scripture. It's a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson, but I love the way that he words it here. He says this. says, don't love the world's ways, don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in this world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. The world and all it's wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out, but whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. Again, Mark Moore in chapter three of Core 52, he puts it this way for first John 1. He says, These are the prides of passion, possession, and position. When, when pride rules us, our passions become our desires. And, and that's the bad ones and also the good things in our lives. Our, our possessions become the thing that, that we live for. Our positions are what we give all of our, our time and, and our effort to. And so in the end, these things take over as our desires more than our desire for God. And so we're not any different than Adam and Eve back there in Genesis chapter 3. We, we see God and we're like, God, you're, you're a barrier to my happiness. You're a barrier to me being fulfilled. You're, you're a barrier to me having fun in life. You're, you're a barrier to the stuff that I want. You're a barrier to the achievements I'm looking for and the success I'm, I'm reaching for. God, you, you are in my way, and this is what I want for myself. And so a pride is the thing that leads us. And then when that becomes the thing that we focus on, our pride takes over, that relationship with God is disrupted, and it's broken. Many times we get to this place in our life, and this is where we get stuck, because we'll say, hey, I want a relationship uh, w- with God. I, I want to follow Jesus, but, but I-, I look at myself, and I-, I look at where I've been, and I look at where I am right now, and, and I just don't know if God can-, can love me because of the past. I don't know if God can love me because of where I am right now, and I, I want to do this, but those desires are, are so strong in my life, and-, and we probably feel helpless like Adam and Eve. But there's more to the story. Look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Like these guys had everything, right? They're living in paradise. They've got this intimate connection with God. They've got a job to do. They've got power. They've got a place to stay. They've got a place to care for. I mean, God has put them in in charge of this, this garden but then they give in to their pride and say, hey, I'm more important than God. And so they eat the fruit. And in that moment they eat the fruit, what do they realize? They realize they've disrupted this relationship. They realize they're missing the mark of what God desires for them. They realize that they have created chaos. They have created sin all around them. They see that they are naked. And so they get some leaves and they make some garments for themselves. And And I'm betting in that moment, as soon as they eat that fruit, they're thinking, well, this is it. God said if we eat this fruit, we're going to die. And so this is it. Nice knowing you. It's been fun. We're out of here. Death is coming. I can only imagine they're sitting there waiting for that to take place. And I think too often we get to this part of the story, and we just kind of stop. And when we stop, we really miss what the story is about. Because the story continues. This story is actually a miracle story. The story is a story of redemption. Look down at verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Here, here these two people are, Adam and Eve. God said, here's the one thing I don't want you to do. This is the one thing they do. They give in to their pride. It's about them. God, you're the barrier. Get out of their way. We're more than human. We're, we want to be just like you. We want to have the knowledge that you have. And so they give in to their pride. They give in to their sin. And we know what should have happened, right? Walter Brueggemann wrote a commentary on Genesis, and he says, when facts warrant death, God insists on life for his creatures. God promises them if they eat from the tree, they will die. They eat from the tree, and God doesn't kill them. Now, death comes, right? We, we know death comes later on for them. But, but I, I read that and I think to myself, this is a God of second chances. Like in that moment, God should have said, you're done, you're out. I'm moving on. I'm going to try something else. You're going to die. But that's not what God does. God gives them a second chance. Not only does God give them a second chance, what else does God do? God sacrifices an animal For Adam and Eve, God kills one of his own creations because why? Because he has this unconditional love for Adam and Eve. He says, I know what you're doing, I know what you've done, I know what you're looking for, and I still love you. And he sacrifices one of his own creations to create this garment. For them to wear. I think about you and me, and we are just like Adam and Eve. Here's the deal. We always eat from the tree, right? We keep eating from it. It's there, and our pride takes over, and I want to be successful, and I'm going to give my whole life to that, and it, it kills our us, our mental well-being, and our health, and our relationships, and it's a troubled time for us and it's hard, but it's like, man, I got I to gotta get that promotion. I got to I get that next job. And so we, we just keep eating from that fruit. And it's like, I know I want to follow Jesus. I, I know God loves me, but, but that fruit tastes so good. And we chase after it in our life over and over again. And that could be any area of our life, right? But here's the deal. God gives us second chances. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, So that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God said, hey, I know your pride takes over. I know your pride is the thing that leads you to make the decisions that you're making in your life. I know that pride is is causing you to sin, but here's the deal. I'm redeeming you through my son, Jesus. And because of Jesus, I'm making this blood sacrifice for you so that you can experience second chances in your own life. Like, to me, that is amazing, incredible, and wonderful love. Because you know what we deserve? We deserve death like Adam and Eve. And yet here's God who says, no, I'm going to give you a second chance. As we think about the story today, some of us are people who say hey we follow Jesus and Jesus is important to us but uh, that pride like I just said that pride's still there and that pride still leads you for me I'll kind of take it to career stuff Um, it's easy for me to look at this church right now and I mean we're growing like crazy finances are great putting in this playground Uh, we're hiring a couple of new people I mean all these amazing things are are happening and I'll be honest there are times I can look at like hey Chad look what you're doing here And then I remember Galatians 6.3. I told you it's my favorite verse in the Bible. You are not that important, period. And I tell myself, Chad, you are not that important, period. And it's such a great reminder that I'm not. That's my pride that can get in the way, and I have to be careful with that, and you have to be careful with that. Whatever that may be for you in your life, wherever that may be, there's that pride that's there. And so if you're a follower of Christ, let me just remind you that God has unconditional love for us, and sometimes that pride is going to take over. But maybe we can become better and work harder and being better followers of Jesus in such a way that when that pride starts to kick in and we start to think those things, maybe we can go back to Galatians 6.3, you are not that important, and maybe that can kind of be that thing that brings us back to knowing, hey, my relationship with God is more important than anything else. Maybe that's where you are. For others here, maybe you are at the beginning stages of the spiritual journey. You're just trying to figure this thing out. You're trying to connect with who God is and understand Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus. Now here at The Journey, we always talk about taking those first steps in your spiritual journey. And one of the big ones for us is taking that step of baptism. It doesn't mean you got it all figured out. It doesn't mean that you know you're, you're fully ready to go, but it does mean you're like, hey, my life is full of pride, and I like to eat from that fruit way too often. And what I want to do is I want to follow Jesus. I want to give my life to Christ. And one of the ways we do that is through baptism. And so uh, actually, during our second service today, Joel is leading a baptism class, like Vanessa said, over at the White House. Just walk in there, be a part of that. Uh, or you can take the connection card that's in front of you, take a picture of that QR code, it'll take you to our link tree. There's a the connection card on there. You can fill that out and let us know. Man, we just love to have that conversation with you. We're going to have a baptism after our second service uh, today, we got a few more people that are jumping in to be baptized here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, for Easter, we're going to do a baptism Sunday. So, And this is just a great way to take that step and say, hey, I am all in. And I'm tired of eating from that fruit. And thank you, God, for second chances. <laughs>